Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello and welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Ed or Teddy Draper, some know me as in the UK, sports broadcaster here with you. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate your time. Thank you as ever to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out Jason Briggs and his team's website, Bang Olufsen Cheltenham. Also follow them through social media, BNO underscore Cheltenham on Twitter and Instagram. And worth reaching out because through that sister company, Serene AV, it's not just the fine Bang Olufsen equipment that they dispense there. They can offer you bespoke home entertainment solutions, big screens, whatever you're looking for, come out to your home and give you good recommendations. A good good people headed by Jason. So do get in touch with Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham. We've been supporting the podcast around 18 months and I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you also to Cytoplan for their association with the podcast, food-based supplement company house, not far from here. I'm recording this at my home in Cheltenham in the west of England. They're up the road just off the M5 towards Malvern in a beautiful village called Hanley Swan. But more importantly, as a family, the Drapers, we've been taking their supplements for 20 plus years now. My father, Dr. Mark Draper, works as a consultant alongside them. He's done a lot of research into what goes into to some of their supplements, in particular around trace elements, selenium and zinc here in the UK. There's a, evidence that those have become less replete in the soil, diminished presence in the UK soil with industrial farming. And certainly he's a big advocate of those. And they're found actually in a lot of their multivitamins or vitamins, you might say, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, but in things like the Immune Complete range, which I actually take every day, the Immune Complete 2 as a, an adult male and a big, big sort of supporter of those. We still pay for the supplements. My father's done work for them as a consultant, but we still pay at a discount rate, which we can offer you that rate as well. If you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, you can get 30% off your initial purchase, 10% thereafter with the code DRAPER10R. So my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Great to have you here. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This is a good one. Dr. Rada McGill is a doctor, um, medically qualified, but also known in the, in the UK as a broadcaster on important health issues around behavioral change. And we tried a conversation for Live Life Well, which is an offshoot of the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival, which I'm proud to be an ambassador of, hosted the live events when we were able to do them in person in 2019. This was a Zoom one. Hopefully there will be a physical in-person festival once again in the Cotswolds in the not too distant future as hopefully the worst of the pandemic is behind us uh, here in England. But nonetheless, uh, it was good to speak to Dr. Rider around lots of issues around behavioural change, but key ones in terms of promoting health was social connections, seeing people, family and friends, which I think is pertinent as life gets busier, we become parents, jobs, commitments all around. Sometimes that friendship and, and seeing extended family get squeezed, doesn't it, that time? And I thought that was really interesting insight into both mental health and physical health and how uplifting and joyous it can be to, to be connected as humans. We need that, don't we? Pack animals 
uh, or tribe animals, however you however you look at it. But here she is, the, the wonderful Dr. Rada McGill. Just an introduction here on the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival. So I appreciate them letting me the audio, uh, lending me the audio here. So there's a reference to Lottie, who's one of the directors of the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival, just at the top. And then I, I bring in Rada. Here we go. Thank you very much, Lottie. Awesome to be here on Live Life Well once more, and also awesome to speak to to you, Rada. I suppose we have to start with asking, how are you? Because I'm sure for everyone involved in the medical world, it's been a it's been a very strange eighteen months, very challenging eighteen months. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, no, I'm good, thank you. It's yeah, it's um, it's like you say, it's been difficult, kind of eighteen months more than that really now for for everybody, but particularly in my medical role, I've been noticing colleagues and, and other people really feeling the pressure. So it's, um, I think we all have to try and keep our feet on the ground and keep that kind of conversation about kindness and support and kind of asking people how they are, which is exactly what you just did to me. So thank you. <laughs> no, glad. I'm really, I'm really glad that you're, um, you're well. And I've got family members who are doctors and it has been a, a really difficult time. It's quite a surreal time with the, the online consultations and, and consultations by phone. But I suppose to start with, to get a picture of the, the changes we, we could or should make in the UK generally, how do you describe the health picture? Obviously, it can be nuanced. Is there, what are the general trends that, that we should be concerned about? I mean, I think I think the pandemic has obviously brought a lot of things into really sharp focus, things that we probably knew already beforehand, but perhaps either either for personal reasons or policy reasons or or, you know, economic reasons, we kind of just shoved under the carpet. And I think the pandemic really lifted that carpet up and has really kind of exposed all of those issues and those kind of problems that we face for a very, very long time. So, you know, for, for me, the big one and the one that I talk about a lot is obviously mental health and mm. emotional well-being. Um, and by that, I don't just mean um, uh, diagnoses or diagnosable conditions. I mean, actually how we stay well every single day of our lives and how we remain emotionally well in ourselves. And I think during the pandemic, um, you know, I did a lot, a lot more kind of media work about mental health and emotional well-being, but very much on the sort of more tangible day-to-day -day sort of side of things. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, looking at things like joy and hope and your morning routine and nature and music and art and community and connection. So all of these things which we've known about from a very, very um, long time, or we knew when we were little, we knew when we were five or six years old, we knew that going with our friends to the playground was really good for us. You know, as we get older, we kind of get those things squeezed out. And I think the pandemic really highlighted just how important all of those things are, but also actually how, how simple things can really have a big impact. So it really kind of brought us, I think, all back to basics in terms of that, um, and really reiterated the importance connection and community and, and how we relate to each other as a world not just as small communities and then on the physical health side of it obviously um you know how to stay fit and well how to optimize your health during a pandemic where obviously people with coexistent medical problems or medical conditions are obviously more at risk um so just being more aware i think of our fragility and our vulnerability and um more aware of of, of how we could perhaps take care of our bodies um i think we live in such a fast-paced world and a fast paced sort of system where we press a button and we can get something delivered to us in you know four hours and i think sometimes we we started to, to get into that train of mind where we weren't really giving our bodies enough time to heal or we weren't we were expecting our bodies to almost be like machines and our minds as well to be like machines and to cope with lots and lots of things one after the other and i think the concepts of rest and of healing and of giving ourselves time bodies and our minds 
actually kind of really came sharply into focus as well. Yeah. How challenging do you think modern life is? I mean, the, the pandemic was clearly acute stress for, for human connection, as you say, exacerbating maybe pre-existing health conditions or, or really making those people feel more vulnerable. But do you feel modern life, as much as we, we like to feel like we've progressed since the millennia of whatever, do you feel sometimes that actually we are in a very challenging environment and can be a dangerous environment for, for mental and physical health? I think we definitely are and I think and I think one of the big um, contributing factors to that is the speed at which we are expected and our society works you know our, our brains can only handle so much information they can it can only handle so much at a certain time for so long and you know when you look back at sort of working hours working conditions phones multiple sources of information multitasking Oh, and that's that's without acute pressures in life or acute changes and uncertainty. So, you know, I think that in itself, that that pressure and that time is really damaging to our health because we just carry on like robots and we expect ourselves to always be at a certain level all the time. And then when we're not, we get impatient. We don't understand why we blame ourselves. So I think, you know, that's a, I think time, I think um, social media, I think technology, I think boundaries between work and life. I think the, the constraints and pressures of, of modern family life where families now tend to live away geographically distance wise from each other and they don't have that that sort of natural support that perhaps centuries ago we used to have from people being around us and again you know breakdown in communities you know people not talking to each other or not having the communal spaces perhaps to to kind of mix and to connect those things really each of those things chips away I think at our well-being physically emotionally and mentally um, and I, I think really what's happened is that we've all become we've become a little bit too complex. <laughs> yeah. we, we kind of we look at the very high level things and we've forgotten the real basics that I was mentioning before that actually have a big impact on our on our well-being. We we're, we need to kind of bring ourselves back. And it's almost like we were this sort of circle and we've kind of just fragmented ourselves into lots of little splinters. And I almost feel like now we want to bring those splinters back and kind of make that that whole again in, in terms mm. of our, our health and well-being. Yeah, you said about families being geographically separate, and that's certainly true in my case, and I think mm -hmm. in a, a lot of families. And actually, you mentioned human connection and, and the methods in which we can communicate are so varied now. There's different platforms, different modes of it. How important is it? Is there a hierarchy of communication that we should strive for that we should try and see family, family and friends regularly in person? But if not, is it next best is screen time and and then it's and then and then it's a phone call and then perhaps it's the text messages. I get sort of text messages from my mum that often sound quite alarmist because she's worried about something. But if you see them in person, it's it's just her being her. But I think sometimes when you have that that digital connection, it can feel quite flat and it doesn't give you a, a boost, the joy that you were talking about. I think that is so true. And I, I, I mean, I think loneliness as itself is is a really interesting thing to talk about and again I, I mean I I was talking about loneliness before the pandemic and then suddenly during the pandemic everyone started talking about it which was great because before when I used to go to do pitches for radio or tv and I used to mention loneliness people were like mm, not sure about that whereas actually the pandemic did allow that kind of space to talk about these subjects which we automatically shy away from or we feel ashamed of, of saying out loud that we're lonely but chronic loneliness has actually been shown to kind of be physically as damaging to your health if you like as, as sort of smoking 10 to 15 cigarettes a day so it's not just our mental health and emotional health it's actually physical health which is impacted by our lack of connection um, and i think it's an interesting question that you ask actually because there are so many different ways of communicating like how do we how do we best spend our time i mean 
for me, and if you look at evolution and the way that we've evolved as humans, um, the, the best way really is face to face. It's eye contact, it's body language, it's human touch. You know, our physiology and our bodies are wired to to receive communication and connection in a face to face manner. So I think by far, far and away, that absolutely outweighs the rest of them. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, having said that, you know, when, when we're not able to do that, then it is really important to look at other, other ways, but to make sure whatever way you're doing it, I think it's all about making sure it's meaningful. Hmm. And what does that mean? That means that you're getting the benefits of that connection. So, you know, we've all received maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 WhatsApp messages or text messages, but if they're not meaningful and if they're not really digging in deep to us feeling heard and us feeling valued, then actually that, that there's no point to them really there's it's not going to give us that sense of connection so it's about working out i think when you're connecting with others what do you need are you getting your, your needs heard and listened to and met um and i think it's very much about feeling recognized and that sense of the other person being there for you um but sometimes there are just too many ways that everyone's connecting with each other. It's just like, hang on a minute, you sent me three messages on three different platforms. <laughs> yeah. And also when, when you're with someone, it's trying to be present with them as well, if you are physically there, because people, the, the mobile phone, and I know these series of talks are, are geared to people over the age of 50, but actually it's interesting, my parents are in their 60s and they're almost having a delayed reaction and they're being bombarded with the technology that we were 10 or 15 years ago. They're getting into smartphones and, and the internet and actually they're, they're having to deal with those challenges. I see my mum going off and absorb with a phone. And I'm like, oh, come on put it down you know, <laughs> role reversal actually and I think there is there's that part of it as well isn't there? as you say that even when you're in person with someone there can be you can almost feel lonely in the same room sometimes you definitely can like you say you, you can be around lots of people but still feel really lonely um, and I think it's about our relationship with other people and being present with that other person like you said and focusing on that one thing at a time which again is really good for our mental health in terms of our resilience and our reserve mm -hmm. um, but also it's also about I think um, loneliness is also about our relationship with ourselves which we don't often speak about we always think loneliness is about other people but actually you know that the pandemic gave some people an opportunity to actually have time by themselves with themselves and that can be quite frightening because if you haven't spent a lot of time with yourself or your mind or your brain and your thoughts and your feelings that's quite overwhelming but it's really important so i think we can feel very lonely if we don't really if we haven't really checked in with with ourselves and we're not really understanding who we are what we like what we need and how we can fulfill our needs in each moment i mean definitely during the pandemic there were there were sort of moments where you know i was having a bit of a bad day a bit of a bad moment and i really had to come i became very conscious of the fact that i sat there and i thought okay in this moment i'm feeling something okay what is it i'm feeling sad okay what what choice can i make in this moment that will help me feel a bit better and sometimes it was making an active choice to have a bit of a cry and let it all out other times it was an active choice to to get up and do something different or to ring a friend or to put on a bit of music and so i think it's all about understanding yourself and not being lonely with yourself is it's very much about understanding who you are but also learning to trust that you can make good choices for yourself and those moment to moment small choices which all build up so i think that's a really interesting thing to think about um yeah. i definitely feel more conscious of that with yeah without being self-obsessed is it a case of, of being self sort of auditing and not judgmental of yourself but actually when it comes to your physical health think about how much you're moving with your diet maybe be honest with yourself and, and as you say with your mental health be honest with yourself about how connected and, and how joyful you feel and, and how much you are seeing your loved ones is that is that the process just stepping away from yourself a little bit 
I think it is. I think it's about, sort of, like you say, not becoming too 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 obsessed by it, where it's actually becoming a problem or an issue, but just just basically trying to say to yourself, how am I doing right now? What's going on for me? Um, you know, someone someone comes up to you and they say something, or maybe you get a text message from someone in your family, you have a reaction to it. And it's just about stopping, stepping back and going, okay, hang on a minute. Am I reading that right? Am I perceiving that right? What's my emotional reaction? You know, why am I doing that? And and how can I make a good choice for myself in whatever I'm doing? So I think it's really just about understanding what we need, when we need it, and what we can do to help ourselves. And a typical example of that is, you know, when you're hangry. So, you know, you're hungry, and you're getting really angry and irritated and that emotional regulation and checking in to say what state am i in is this is what's coming out of my mouth actually what i want to say or is it just an automatic reaction because i'm hungry and tired um and that again sounds very basic and simple but you can you can kind of um extrapolate that into all of those different things you mentioned mm. um and the reason i'm so interested i think in mental health and emotional well-being is because all of the other things that you mentioned like you know our diet and how much we're exercising all the other things related to health they all stem from our psychology so they all stem from how we're feeling you know because it's all very well uh you know watching a program or we're trying to do something about your, your diet and change your diet or whatever it might be but if your if your motivation and intention your psychology and attitude are not are not necessarily in the right place or aligned you're never going to get there so i think all of those other things are secondary to our psychology our emotional state and our mental well-being so if we can get that right the rest of it actually then flows really nicely yeah you talk about sort of um the messages we're receiving on our phone and our personal lives but what about the wider media. And I know that we both work in the media, so I don't want to be too <laughs> judgmental of it. But obviously, over the, the last 18, 19 months, there's been a sort of bombardment of, of from their perspective, important information, but can be quite alarming information. Do you feel that we have to edit our exposure, edit our media diet as well sometimes, not just take in negative news on a, on a sort of 10, 12 hour basis during a day? Yeah, I, I think we do. And again, it comes back to that that kind of idea that our brains can only manage so much and our emotional systems can only manage so much. And you know, back in the day when we didn't have 24 hour news and we didn't have our phones, we would only know about what was going on in our local community or in our, in our group of friends. And we could handle that because that was around us, that was manageable, but also we felt like we had some sense of control over it. Whereas now, we're obviously being exposed to everything that's going on around the entire world all the time, 24 hours a day. And so now we need to actually, we need to take control of what we're exposing ourselves to. And again, it comes back to the idea of choice. You know, I, I know that sometimes um, if I'm having a bit, bit of a bad day, I might kind of self-sabotage and if I'm feeling a bit grumpy, I might want to watch more news or listen to radio stations where people are groaning and moaning about all kinds of things. And I'm thinking, why am I doing this to myself? Because I'm making myself feel worse. Mm. So I think it's really, it's all about us stepping back and saying, what kind of emotion am I having today? What kind of mood am I in? What do I need? What's good for me? And that might be to step back and to and create boundaries around your Instagram feed or your Twitter feed or turn the news off and and listen to some music so it's very much in our control just like choosing the people and the friends that we have around us they they make us who we are um, we absorb that and we become we, we inevitably become what we expose ourselves to so it's very much about reining it in looking at what we're doing and changing that to sort of suit ourselves on that particular day or that particular month even. Um, but definitely during the pandemic, I mean, there were so many tips I was giving up about reducing your news consumption. And also, 
working out how best you receive news so for me i'm a very visual person um, if i see an image i find it very difficult to get out of my head um mm. so during a pandemic i was trying to listen to news more than actually watch it because for me that was an easier way emotionally to digest what was going on mm. so again it'll be different for different people it's just about working out a kind of bespoke sort of profile for you i think and, and following that yeah around COVID, i found it easier to read sort of sort of more in-depth magazines sort of a week or two later summarizing the situation obviously that's not necessarily breaking news about my daughter's school being locked down i didn't know that I didn't <laughs> yeah. know that quickly she wasn't going to school but yeah more broadly i think it was sort of reflecting on it in sort of maybe more scientific places like the new scientist rather than the sort of um the mainstream media that's, that's sort of live throughout the day um which mm -hmm. i do work for some of those media agencies so i have to be a little quite, bit quite reactionary you know that, yeah. that kind of reactionary panic and i, and I think you know we've, we've all been through so much it was so much uncertainty so much change i think we've all been through this real phase of just sort of surviving you know physically mm -hmm. mentally emotionally and i think you know in the last sort of couple of months i've really started to see people trying to start to process what's actually happened to us mm. and because before this we haven't really had the time or the mental space or the energy to actually start to understand and unpick what's actually happened to me the last year and a half what's gone on in my life and where am I now? And it, it takes time. It takes time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating, these conversations. And it started working with, with Alex and Lottie who've organised these talks for me for, with the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival. And we had a fascinating guest there called John Hudson, who's Chief of Survival Instruction for the, the Royal Air Force. And he's fascinated by stoicism. A lot of what you're saying about emotions and, and mental health is what he talks about stoicism. I think it goes back to people like Marcus Aurelius, the, the Roman Empire uh, Emperor, sorry, about a stimulus and a reaction, and you having finding a gap between the two. Is that our emotional health? Is that part of seeing an emotion but not letting it become us, not identifying our emotions as ourselves? Is is that does that make sense? Is that kind of where where you're going? Absolutely, and and there are lots of different strategies and ways to do that. But if you look at uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for example that does that where you you're, you're kind of um, supported to to notice your thoughts and then to kind of notice the emotion after that and then to notice how you behave and then to kind of put a, a little break in that cycle mm. so you can step back and make a choice rather than being led by an automatic thing and and you know, I mean Buddhism is very much about that you know, lots of different lots of different ways I think of, of sort of speaking the same language in terms of the, the idea of it. Mm. Um, you know, being in nature, I think, you know, for me, that also represents, and music represents that, um, uh, or a technique at least to get a bit of space from from that. So I think um, you know, some people find that, you know, praying and, and going to their local temple or church is, is that, is a similar sort of way of, of helping that. So I think what I find really interesting is, is that there are lots of conversations and they're speaking sort of slightly different languages, but they all relate to a similar idea. And, and I think that, is helpful because we all receive information in different ways and we all respond to different techniques and different strategies and different ways to well-being. So I think it's sometimes when you hear the word well-being, it's become a little bit, well, it's become overused, it's become flat and a bit 2D mm. and it's become a little bit um, standard templated. And I think it's really important to let everyone know that well-being is very individual and very unique and you can find it in all kinds of different ways, but we're all speaking the same language at the end of the day. Yeah, something which seems to help that separate 
separation of, of your thoughts and mind from the concept of yourself is meditation. People talk about that. Do you meditate? Do you recommend meditation to your patients? Mm, so I, I try to. I've got a very busy mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't. I don't always manage it, but I definitely. I've definitely have have done it before. I, I try to do it as much as I can. Um, I don't. Again, I don't necessarily think that um, the idea of sort of formally meditating mm -hmm. like is is helpful for everybody like I say I find it actually really helpful to go and exercise or to listen to some music and that's yeah. my way of doing it but but it's it's definitely something which um helps us be more aware of our thoughts be more aware of our feelings and also I think just to also have a break and a a step away from the busy noisy outside world which if we followed we would just you know, we, we, who knows where we would end up? I mean, I I, uh, I, read, I I got a little dog this year and I was watching him, walking here, and I was watching him and he picks up a scent and he follows that scent and he won't notice anything else around him. He won't know where he is. You know, if he followed that scent, he just then he'll be like, where on earth have I got to? Yeah. It's the same with, with our thoughts. So I think, you know, strategies like that, um, whatever, whatever that strategy looks like for you is really, really helpful. Not just helpful for our mental health, but... It's also helpful in how we interact with other people, you know, our relationships and obviously our quality of our relationships impacts our well-being. You know, there is a two-way traffic process with any relationship, with any conversation, whether or not it's the friend or family member or a stranger. And I think if we've got a little bit more emotional awareness, some of the issues like that you see on social media of, of very toxic discourse, um, conflict, those things actually can be ameliorated with similar techniques of that space between thought and feeling and action. It's funny, I can picture your dog actually. I can put my cat as well. They're totally <laughs> absorbed in the in the present moment. And for yeah. me, I like you say, I've had a busy mind as well. I think being a journalist, particularly a sports journalist, I'm remembering stats and thinking of, of questions yeah. and interviews and it's bounding around your head. But actually, suppose my, my background was in sport playing playing football and actually I love five-a-side football but I've I've nudged over 40 so I think that's not going to last forever so I need to find an activity that's that's going to keep me absorbed in the in the moment because you get a break of an hour and you just you realize you haven't been thinking about the future the present the past yeah. you're just living and I think that's significant is that what you would encourage people and I'm again aware that people on this watching this may be over the age of 50 is it finding a hobby or something that just absorbs you in in the moment whether it's carpentry or knitting whatever it might be absolutely you're, you're so right so there's you know we we often think of sort of relaxing um as being sort of just sitting on the sofa and watching tv and don't get me wrong sometimes that is relaxing and that's absolutely fine but but um there's also a sort of concept of sort of active relaxation which is which is basically like you say doing something to relax um you know if you're sitting there watching tv TV's pretty monotonous most of the time. Your mind's going to wander. Your mind's going to start thinking about problems, worries, etc. If you're there playing football, um, you know, say wood, woodworking, knitting, uh, doing a bit of pottery, um, you know, walking out in nature, doing a bit of gardening, you, you are totally taken away from your mind and your worries. And and that little tiny bit of of time in your day has has a kind of exponential benefit, I think, on your well-being. So I remember once going to try an evening sort of pottery class and I, I was coming back from work on the train I thought oh, I'm a bit tired maybe I won't go you know that kind of classic maybe I'll just go home yeah, yeah, yeah. um but I went and it was only half an hour but literally if you compared my mood and my sort of mental state before I went in to after they were utterly and completely different and it just shows that that tiny little bit of time where you're totally engrossed and absorbed in something else really it's almost like having a little bit of a mini holiday 
um, mm. in a shorter period of time and not necessarily yeah. on the beach. <laughs> yeah, no, it's massively refreshing, I think, to turn off the mind <laughs> where you can absorb, your, absorb yourself in something. Although the beach, hopefully the beach is possible in the coming months, we'll I see. So. It's a, I wouldn't say been, no to the beach. <laughs> no, it's been, uh, it's been a complex time for, for holiday makers and sun seekers, that's, that's for sure. In terms of, of habit forming, is it about creating positive habits more than it is worrying about negative habits? So you don't obsess about abstaining maybe from a, a certain routine or a certain diet. You think about maybe good changes you make to your diet or positive changes, whether it be meditation or a new hobby, rather than overloading yourself and punishing yourself. Is that the balance that we need to strike? Yeah, definitely. I think it's about a couple of things. So making sort of realistic goals, which I, I'm getting better at, but I used to be terrible at because I was like, right, <laughs> I'm going to change everything right now in one day in 24 hours. But making realistic, yeah. attainable goals really important for several reasons. One, um, it's realistic, but two, you're more likely to achieve it. And once you get that momentum going, you're actually more likely then to carry on with that behavior or that, that kind of positive uh, positive change you want to make. So realistic, attainable goals in terms of time set and time period. And um, making sure, I think this is really important, making sure whatever you want to change is yours and yours alone. So why do you want to change something? That has to be your why to own. It can't be someone else saying you should do this or, or you thinking I should do because someone else has done it. It has to be really, what's your intention? Why do you want to change it? If you get clear about that, I think that's, that helps you kind of carry through on those really difficult days when you feel like giving up. Um, yeah. Another important question to ask is, um, what would happen or what would my life look like if I didn't change this? So I, that, I respond to that much better personally because if I can imagine, if I sort of visualize my sort of future or my life, if I'm not changing something and what that ends up being, what the outcome of that is, that sometimes kind of really kicks me up the, up the bum basically, <laughs> and makes yeah. me change it because I'm like, well, I don't want that. So if I don't want that, I've got to choose something differently, even if it's hard or tough or difficult, I don't want that. So I've got to do something to change it. Um, but also remember our, our brains like form things called habit loops. So mm. where we have a, we have a sort of a, a trigger or a stimulus, for example, we then have a particular behavior and then we get a reward. And that loop is kind of yeah. like, it's like a loop of nerve cells in our brains that gets reinforced the more we do it. And that forms the habit so that then the habits become automatic and we just do them without realizing. So if you can then replace like you were saying earlier, Ed, if you replace um, the sort of the, the less desirable habit, if you like, with a better habit or a better behavior, yeah. focusing on that is more likely to help you change something for the better and for the good and for the long term as well. Is there an area of life that you would make? I know it's very, again, it's a general question, but I appreciate people kind of want general advice sometimes, but there will be nuance to the individual. If a patient comes to you and wants to make a wholesale life change, we're bombarded with messages about diet, uh, losing weight, nutrition, sleep, um, exercise. Where do you start? Is there a tip? A lot of GPs I say to just speak to say, my first tip is to move more to, as a basic, you know, for a lot of patients who are, who are maybe struggling with their weight or struggling with fitness is, is to just move what's your is you, have you got a go-to sort of start point for anyone just to to maybe get a bit of momentum going yeah i mean i think i think getting active and moving your body is really really helpful um i, I would i would kind of go back one and say I, again reiterate what i said a minute ago which is work out your why mm. why do you want to change what's your life like now what what are you not pleased about in terms of how things look what do you want to change and why do you want to change it and what would happen if you didn't change it 
And yeah. I think it's really important to think that through really carefully and actually to write that down to really get clear about what you're trying to do. And then after that, I have to say, I would agree. I think that um, a lot of people, I remember chatting to a friend a, a few years ago and we were talking about sort of the concept of sort of self-belief. And I was saying, oh, I think, you know, believing yourself is so important to making positive change. And she was like, well, it is, but action is actually more powerful. And I totally agree with her Yeah. in that, yes, you need some self-belief, but actually, if you just take of that first step, that action, that actually drives the self-belief. So if you haven't got, if I was to choose one of those, I would say choose action. So like you say, getting active, get up, do something small, walk to the end of the road and back, keep doing that for a week, build on it, build on it. So whatever it might be, I think if you just start, if you just start after you found out your why, then I think that's the key to it. It's about just getting going because then the momentum actually propels you forward and keeps mm. you going in the right direction. And if we are searching for a bit of self-esteem and self-worth, that why can we use it? someone else as a sort of crutch? We mentioned family at the start and friends, didn't we? It can be children or grandchildren. Maybe we use them as a, a stimulus to, to look after ourselves if maybe we don't value ourselves enough in the moment. Definitely. And often you'll find that people make um, the biggest sort of changes in their life for the better because of someone else. So by that I mean, perhaps they're caring for somebody, perhaps their child has come up to them and said, look, I want you to be around when I'm, you know, when I'm 50, can you please stop yeah. smoking? Or, you know, some, we, we often find it easier to make changes on, for other people in terms of our own lifestyle because we, we care about them and they care about us. But also, you know, we know that if you're doing things in a group, um, it's far more likely that you're going to stick to those kind of positive changes. So trying to stop smoking in a kind of support group or peer group is much more effective than doing it by yourself because you've got that momentum, you've got that support, you've got other people who understand you, you don't feel so alone. And you've also got someone to answer to. You know, I know that if I go to the gym with my friends, um, I'm more likely to turn up because I know she's going to be there and she's going to be like, where are you? Yeah, yeah. And if I'm going to go by myself. So carrying people with you, having that support and having that um, sort of self-belief that someone can say to you, if you're having a bad day, come on, you can do this. I know you've got this and I'm here for you. You know, don't worry about it. What can we do to kind of help? You know, that that's when you need to be picked up if you're having a little bit of a dip in your in your kind of um, journey, if you like, to positive change. One issue in the gym can be, and you know, maybe it's a, a male thing, but the comparison culture of, of who's lifting what or who's running oh, how fast. Yeah. How, how important <laughs> when, you, when you adopt a new habit, a positive life habit that you use yourself as a, a yardstick rather than others the comparison culture you were talking about social media as well uh there's a, a famous thing comparison is a thief, a thief of joy and it, and it is and uh it's is rife it's rife in our society which is why um a lot of us get lost i think because we're all trying to be like everybody else yeah. and then at some point in life um if we're lucky we sort of wake up and we're like mm, hang on a minute why i've got i've got i've ticked off all these boxes but i'm not feeling happy why is that and that's because our, our sort of intention or our reason for doing that was never ours in the first place we were looking at someone else and trying to be like them or we we're trying to be like everybody else um which is in itself is a bit is a fallacy anyway um so yeah comparison is is never helpful the only time comparison is helpful is when you're comparing yourself to yourself and your progress and so you're right you know trying to stay away or to limit yourself in terms of toxic environments toxic people who might <laughs> might encourage comparison is really important um but i think that that comes with time doesn't it and i think you know sometimes i'm good at that sometimes i'm not so good at that but just again it's that it's that noticing and stepping back and saying okay why am i feeling mm. why am i feeling a bit off it's because i'm comparing myself to that person okay 
I'm, I don't want to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to stop and change. So again, it's, it all comes down to that sort of self-awareness of our thoughts, I think, as well. And feeling gratitude for what we have. Yeah, someone's yeah. always got a bigger house than you, or, 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 <laughs> or whatever, it, whatever it might be, or a nicer body. Um, in, in in sort of subjective terms, anyway. What what about um, a subject that I suppose is pertinent to a lot of people in the UK and the West generally is body weight and obesity being a, a concern. Do you have any general approach to? That? I know there's a, a, a medical perspective shifting to think that maybe obesity is a, is a disease in in lots of ways. How do you view it? And are there any tips to starting points to to combat? That because again it can be connected to, to mental health and physical health can't it yeah absolutely um <clears throat> i think the first thing to say about that is is that we need to stop the kind of culture of shame and blame mm. associated with um being overweight um or an obesity as well i think that's so important because you know nothing positive comes from blame or shame it just doesn't ever doesn't ever work it, it's not right it's not it's not the full story and i think you know if, if you look back at most people in most people's lives with whatever they're trying to change there's always a backstory to that. There's always a backstory to, as to how things got 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 there in the first place, in, in whatever realm you're talking about. So it's about understanding that human story, understanding um, what the patterns are, what the, what the what that person's attitude is, what their psychology is, and then addressing that really. Because I think I think things like exercise and uh, giving kind of advice and information about about diet. That I think, in a way, they're actually the easier side of it, <laughs> if you like. Yeah, they're kind of yeah. they're kind of the the second or third stage. Whereas I think it's actually really we need to, in my view, anyway, we really need to be focused on people's psychology, their mental health, their self esteem. You know, obviously, you know, a lot of us eat when we're feeling very emotional, when we're when we're feeling very sad. We might have patterns around how we grew up in terms of you know our eating habits. If we ate with other people, our patterns of what we've learned from parents and the people around us. So. Yeah. it's not a simple answer it's more complex but i think we have to be brave enough to address that and make sure we're dealing with that in a complex way and acknowledge it's a difficult environment isn't it in the west because we've got a calorific food that's not that nutritious all around us i suppose it's everywhere isn't it i mean if you it's, it's hard to find healthy food sometimes when you're out and about and definitely for some people who are working night shifts doing diff, you know, diff, different jobs for example it's a much more of a challenge than it is for the majority of us so I think I think it's on many levels: the individual level, societal level, policy level, industry level. Um, but also, I think it's about our relationship with nature and the earth. You know, we've become very separated from the kind of thinking about where our food comes from and our relationship with, with food. You know, it's become we, we go into a supermarket, we see something on a shelf, we pick it up, we put it in the microwave, and we eat it. You know, so so where's the relationship with nature? And I think looking at that in a wider perspective um, and actually developing that may also actually help with the climate crisis mm -hmm. and with our relationship to nature itself which i know people might say well that's a huge jump but i don't think it is i think they're very much related once we see that we're part of this earth and we're part of nature and how na what nature gives back to us we can then change our relationship with that when it comes to what we eat and how we mm -hmm. get our nutrition but also in terms of how we're dealing with the climate crisis and how we're treating the earth and the sustainability as well. Yeah, well, it's interesting. My father's a GP, but he started growing during the pandemic his own vegetables and a lot more. And actually he's flourished with it. And we've just had that joy of watching him grow and, and eating his, mm -hmm. his vegetables, which gives you a real sense of connection to, to the world in a different way than it is getting something from the supermarket sheathed in plastic or. Yeah, which kind of makes you feel good in terms of your well-being mm -hmm. as well, doesn't it? So it's, it's kind of a win-win situation, really. Yeah. 
certainly is. I want to touch about sleep quickly because it's my biggest challenge is I work shift work in covering sports late and early. <laughs> and things like that. And how important is, is sleep? Because it's, it's something as a society, I think we can sometimes you know, ignore or, or disregard the sleep when I'll die kind of machismo that you see in, in society sometimes. So you're right. So your, your previous question as well about, you know, what challenges have we got in this kind of modern world? And, and sleep is definitely one of those in that it has been it's sort of like the, the you know, the, the kind of poor, the poor relative who's kind of all the poor neighbor who's stuck in the corner or the, you know, who's stuck in the corner and basically just ignored and told, oh, you're not important, you know, mm. <laughs> kind of, we'll deal yeah. you later. But, but yeah, sleep is so vital for our mental, physical, emotional well-being. So, you know, often people think that sleep is just a process of lying down and just kind of doing nothing. <laughs> but actually, yeah. it's, it's an active process. Um, sorry, I've got a little bit of a... No, no, you take your time. I know we've been talking for a while. We, we'll, um, we'll wrap up in a second. But yeah, that's it's a fascinating area. It's one that I'm trying to discipline myself more to, to sort of relax and unwind, not check my phone before I go to sleep and, and just have that process. Of... I'll, I'll start that again. Sorry, Lottie, you might have a bit of editing there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start that again. Um, so yeah often people think that sleep is just a passive process where you're just lying down you're doing absolutely nothing um but actually it's the opposite it's a very active process so within that our, our cells are repairing themselves physically we're having our memories laid down for example so whatever's happened during the day our memories are being laid down in our brains and also we're emotionally processing what's happened to us so it's it's absolutely vital and it's not just the quantity it's also the the quality of sleep um but we we too often don't we just say oh well i'll, I'll sleep a bit later or i'll do that later i'll just stay up a little bit later and i'll i'll wake up a bit earlier and um it's something which you know, sleep is is absolutely essential for our physiology mm -hmm. sleep nutrition social connection um all of those things are just absolutely vital how much we move to actually how we feel and our well-being so i think we need a conversation really to reprioritize sleep as not something which is just you know something you do at the end of the day where you just lie down and you see how many hours you get or how many hours are left in the day <laughs> but actually saying right i need my sleep um turn off your phone stop working stop the emails and concentrate on sleeping and actually enjoy sleeping like enjoy making sleep a luxury a luxurious activity a, a kind of thing that's really comforting really lovely just how you prepare an amazing meal we mm. we all love our food <laughs> so yeah, just like yeah. you kind of prepare go out and buy buy some amazing ingredients for a lovely meal and cook that and really savour it. I think we need to do the same for our sleep um, and just really enjoy that and make the most of it. Well, that's great, great tips, Ryder. I could speak to you all day. It's been a fascinating conversation. I know time's pressing. I know you're going to hold on or reappear for a Q&A with the audience who've got questions and you'll give all your information on, on how to follow you. But I wanted to say thank you for, for speaking to me today. It's been fascinating and Hopefully we'll, we'll get there with improving everyone's health and well-being and getting people happy and, and connected. But thank you for today. It's such a pleasure. Thank you, Ed. Thanks so much. Fascinating conversation. I found it anyway. I hope you did too with Dr. Rada uh, McGill there. And just the, the sort of riff on connection, the importance of seeing friends. Because sometimes when you're tired and you have that day off, you think, I can't be bothered to make the 20 minute drive or whatever it may be to see those good friends and particularly people that have known you before you've developed into the adult now the, the connection you've had with people from teenage years or whatever and, and extended family members you just get that kind of reassuring boost don't you i think it does feel like a mental health and a physical health boost with the endorphins you get from from feeling connected with people you truly trust and 
truly value and are truly friends with or uh, or family with. So yeah, interesting to get that conversation. Thank you to Dr. Rada. Thank you to Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival, the ladies who run that, Lottie and Alex, for allowing me to share the audio with you. Met some really great people that I've had on the podcast actually through the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival. Follow them online at, at Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival. Do these projects like the Live Life Well weekends. And it's something that I met James Golden through. The Fitness Pro has been on the podcast a number of times. John Hudson, UK military's chief survival instructor. So some fascinating people and Radha's definitely in that company. And just a nuanced twist on how we can encourage healthy habits and maybe connecting with people is an important one. We're always busy and haven't got much time, have we? And how much time are we devoting to those rectangular telephonic devices? Not really telephones either. They're just this kind of... Um, virtual reality worlds we get sucked into i think which i'm more guilty of than anything and i think just striving to get even 10 minutes coffee with a real human being is certainly much more advantageous to our to our health so it's a good thing around behavioral change and hopefully we can get to that point because i think what the pandemic has certainly exposed is that a lot of us in the west are pretty frail pretty close to the edge really in lots of ways aren't we uh, in terms of obesity type 2 diabetes loneliness as well is a, is a problem as, as Ryder was saying there and i think connected to some of those other physical health issues as well so i really appreciate her time thank you for listening if you enjoyed it please rate it on itunes or another platform and uh, just tell a friend if you enjoy it as well so my name's ed draper or teddy draper sports broadcaster in the uk and just doing this to kind of illuminate topics around sport and health and wellness and some of the lessons we can learn from the health and wellness industry to enhance our life and from successful sports people as well. But thank you for being here. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV. I'm wearing a pair of their headphones right now. Uh, they are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out BO underscore Cheltenham on social media, Bang Olufsen Cheltenham website. Jason Briggs is a Manchester United fan like me. So uh, go easy on him if you do contact them. <laughs> the uh, the malaise, the opaque nature of being a Manchester United fan continues as we make one step forward, two steps back, or a couple of steps sideways. Nonetheless, he's a good man, and he'll speak to you about what would suit your home entertainment solution, either through Bang Olufsen's equipment or through that company, Serene AV. They can source you whatever would fit what you're looking for, your budget, your vision. So uh, thank you to Bang Olufsen Cheltenham. And if you are looking to optimize your immunity as we head into the dark, dreary months of, of winter here in the UK, head to cytoplan.co.uk. They do a whole raft of specific supplements and those sort of multivitamin, multivitamins as well. I take the Immune Complete range. My wife likes the foundation formula from there. And uh, as, a, as a woman who's menstruating, she has uh, Formula One with iron in it. And I have uh, two of its foundation formula immune complete because it doesn't have iron in it as an adult male. But you can find out more at cytoplan.co.uk. The discount code is DRAPER10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Right. Thank you for being here, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great week. Goodbye for now.